12 sons, and this is a message, number one, that I preached about seven, almost eight years ago, so I'm not real worried about you going, oh, you preached that before. Yeah, tell me all about it. Listen, guys that worry about what they've preached before give themselves too much credit. People ain't listening that much to begin with to think eight years later they can tell you all about it. And, you know, every now and then you might get somebody like that. But, you know, bottom line is this is something I have done before, but I think it's very applicable. We've got a lot of new people in the last eight years, and I think you're going to see a really cool story. I think by the time, if I do my job right, you're going to, number one, see how perfect your Bible is, that nothing in this book is by happenstance. And nothing, not, not one comma, not one period is out of place. Your Bible is 100% complete and perfect without error in any area. Not just in grammar or in the meanings or in the words, but in every aspect, the Bible is absolutely perfect. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about a Christian journey here, and we're going to show you that all the way back here in Genesis, God had chosen one man, and through that one man, 12 sons were born, and those 12 sons became the nation of Israel. That's why that's called nation of Israel. Jacob himself, in chapter 32, is going to get a name change. And his name is going from Jacob the supplanter, or the deceiver, to prince of God, which was what Israel literally means. If you go back to chapter 32, you actually can see the salvation story on how that thing lays out. And what I'm going to show you is through those 12 sons that God's going to uh, have through this one man, he's actually going to give you, you and I in the present day, the Christian journey. And through the names of each, all 12, and in the order in which they were born, will literally lay out your life. And it's amazing how God does this. Now, we just had a 90s thing for our Valentine's Day banquet, right? How many of y'all remember the Jerry Springer show? Right? Listen, everybody always talks about how boring the Bible is. Listen, Jerry Springer would have had a heyday with Jacob's family. I mean, this episode would have been off the charts as far as Nielsen ratings, because this guy is all kinds of messed up, which is absolutely just brings a joy to my heart. Not that he's messed up, but that God took this one man who is jack beyond all get out, and he chose this one man to create a whole nation, his chosen generation, his whole chosen nation. Which means, I look at my own family generation and go, man, we are messed up. And I'm going, well, if God can use this one guy to create a whole nation to reach the whole world, well, then you know what? He can use me and my messed up genealogy also. Now, before I get into the 12 names and start laying it out up here for you, I want to kind of give you the backstory here in chapter 29. And if you go back to 29... What's going down here is Rebecca, Jacob's mother, who she favored Jacob over his twin brother Esau. This, this is where the family, the psychiatrist would go, now tell me about your parents. And man, boy, this would be opening up a can right here. And what's going down is he says, he, she tells her son, I need you to find a wife. So I want you 
to go all the way back to Ur of Chaldees area where my family's from and I need you to find my brother Laban and he's going to have a daughter and I want you to marry them. You tracking with me? All of a sudden the story is now taking place in the fields of Alabama. The guy's going to find his cousin and marry her. No offense to you Alabama people. Now, he's going over here, and in around verse 10 or 11, he sees Rachel, his cousin. He gets all giddy and kisses her and starts openly weeping where I tend to have a problem. A little dainty for my taste, but okay. You're going to start openly crying because you see a hottie. Something, something's wrong here, but okay. You're going to have a crying moment. And he sees her, and then he goes to his uncle, and he says, hey, uh, the cousin over here, my first cousin, I'd like to marry her. He's like, okay, well, you worked for me for seven years. And after seven years, you can marry her. He's like, okay, cool. In the meantime, verse 17 tells you she has an older sister named Leah. And the Bible says that, in verse 17, that Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Tender-eyed literally means she's got a great attitude. It's when your buddy's setting you up on a blind date, and you say, hey, what does she look like? She's got a great attitude. Oh, so she's not really hot, huh? Now, she must have had the same bodial proportions as her sister, and the reason being is, because you drop down to verses 23 and 25, it's time to get married after seven years. And one of the most confusing verses in all the Bible for me, personally, is Jacob gets married, they have a big feast, they have the wedding, he goes into the tent to do the deal with his wife, he wakes up the next morning and goes, huh, wrong lady. I'm not a genius, but I don't know how you go through a whole night with a different woman and you don't know it's her. But either way, it must have been a very dark tent. But now, he's woken up and he realizes, you tricked me. And Laban says, yeah, I did. But in my country, we don't give away the younger daughter before the older. He says, well, I still want my wife. Okay, well, that's cool. Work another seven years and you can have her. So he's like, okay. So he works another seven years, and now he's got two wives, both of them sisters. And both sisters were endowed a personal slave, if you will, a, a maid, who really didn't have a whole lot of choice in this world. And so therefore, there are four women... This is why I know he's a nut job. Four women living in this dude's house. And so what happens is we have four women, and Leah, the first one, is just driven to try to get the attention of her husband. But he is enthralled with Rachel. And therefore, the story is going to pick up here in verse 29 or 30. From, excuse me there, let me get my clicker on. We're going to pick up here in verse 30, and, it, and we'll notice here in verse 30, he says, 
And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel and then more than Leah, and served him for seven years. In other words, he went seven more years to get the original wife he wanted. Verse 31, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So the great getting even here is Leah may not be loved, but she's fruitful. And Rachel, who he loves, can't have kids at this present time. Verse 32, Leah conceived and bare a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my afflictions. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Verse 33, and she conceived again and bare a son. And because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he also therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Verse 34, she conceives again and bears a son. And now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have bore him three sons. And she called his name Levi. In verse 35, she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and left bearing. Now, by the time she gets to verse 35, she's done giving up on trying to impress her husband. And she's started to focus on just praising the Lord for what she has. Now, I read just this portion because I don't want to read all of it because we're going to go through each one of these. And we got to get moving on this. But I want you to understand something about your Bible. I am going to give you all 12 of them their names and the definition behind their name. Now, I want you to understand something that we believe in this church. We believe that what we have in our hands, in our Bible and the translation we use, that it is a completed book that we don't need outside sources to tell us anything. That it is a completed book, and the Bible is a self-answering book, a self-describing book. What I mean by that is, we're going to give you all the definitions of these men's names, and never have to look up a lexicon one time. Because the vast majority of words used in the Bible, especially names, the definition of that name is in the very context in what you're reading. And so we're going to give you this without filling your head with a bunch of Hebrew and all that other stuff that everybody goes, well, I'm not even Hebrew. You're right. And God has given you his word in English for you to completely understand it right here. Now watch. So we're going to talk about these 12 sons, and I'm going to make applications of these 12 sons to your life today. And we're going to start by what I am calling the salvation experience through the first four sons. It's the part that I just read, okay? And I want you to look back here in verse 31 and 32. You'll notice the name Reuben. She has her first son, she called his name Reuben, and she said, surely the Lord hath looked, and that's what Reuben means, look upon my affliction, now therefore my, my husband will love me. Now, I'm going to ask CJ to come up here and sit in this first seat, and he is going to be Reuben in this skit I'm putting on for you. And it literally means, see, a son. Now, get the picture. Here's Leah, who's hated. Her sister's love. There's this jealousy thing going on. She has this one son, right? And so she's kind of, get the picture, holding him up, going, see, a son, Jacob. Now, Justin was hoping for a boy. Didn't happen. 
And in all truthness, I told him some words that I truly believe is, I know you wanted a son and you ended up with another daughter, but there is something truly special about having one son. Now, I'm not saying for those of you that got multiple sons, that's a bad thing. I'm telling you my personal experience, I have one. And therefore, that relationship I have with the one son is different than if I'd have had multiple sons. And those of you that have just one son, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, that's it. That's, that's all my stake is in that one son. And at this very moment, Leah is in that shape of she's giving him that one son. Now, we don't have time to go over it, but since the 90s were just here, we go in, sonogram, Christy's pregnant with Alexis. Oh, you're having a girl. I'm a young punk. I don't speak to her for, what, two days? I leave the doctor's office. I don't say a word. I walk to the, I walk to the car. I don't say a word. We ride back home. I'm not saying a word. I'm fired up mad. Now, because I'm an idiot and I don't know anything, it was actually my fault, not hers. <laughs> However, when we went in for the sonogram for CJ and they say, oh, you're having a boy, I turned and looked at her and she thought, see what I did? <laughs> I guess we can talk on the ride home. Now, so this one step, this, this area I'm calling the salvation experience. Do you know the first step to salvation? It's to see the sun. It's to recognize the sun. The Bible tells us John, the Baptist, is baptizing over in Judea. And where he stops when Jesus comes across the hill and he says, Behold, look! A son, behold, take notice the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If you ever, ever are going to be born again and get saved, it's going to start when you lock your eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. Because there is no salvation outside of him. You can't look to any other thing than to look to Jesus as being your Savior. Now, not only are you to look at the Son, but there's something else you need to see. You need to see yourself for who you really are. The hardest thing to get somebody to admit is that they're a sinner. And if you're ever going to be saved, not only do you need to see yourself for who you really are, but you need to look to the Son the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to bring salvation in your life. Because without that, you will never be saved. The Bible tells us that John 1.14, he says, And the Word, Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, we looked at His glory. 1 John 1.1 says, That which we have heard, that from the beginning which we have heard, which we have heard, Look at it. Seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. You better look to a son if you're ever going to be saved from the wrath to come. Now, number two. Look at verse 33. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath, look at the word, heard 
that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Luke, where you at? Hop up on here. All right, Luke's going to come sit down next to CJ. This is son number two. Now remember, this whole chairs, these four chairs, is what I'm calling the salvation experience. Okay, now here's what's going down now. Simeon means to hear, right? Now what, is, what does Reuben mean? Look, a son. Hear. Hear who? Hear him. Hear the Lord. Now watch this. Romans 10, 17, if you're ever going to be saved, you're going to be saved by grace through faith. Where are we getting the faith from? So then faith cometh, Hebrew, uh, Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. You're never going to get saved apart from the Word of God. It's impossible. So when somebody gets saved, two elements that have to be involved is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. You can't be saved outside of that. So the salvation experience by seeing the Son, hearing His Word, and believing it by faith, that's how somebody's saved. Now watch this. Uh, Amos 8, 11 said there's going to come a time of a famine. What kind of famine? Of bread? No, a famine of hearing the Word of God. And by the way, that famine isn't something that's to come. We're in that famine right now. Alright? Now, number three. We've got to Whole nother name started here. Notice there in verse 34. She conceived again and bare a son. Now this time my husband will be, and here's the definition, joined unto me because I have bore him three sons. Therefore, therefore was his name called Levi. Now Josh or Drew, come up here. There you go, Drew and his freshly shaved face. It's what? Oh, okay. Well, you'll grow up one day. It'll grow in film. Now, remember, we're talking about the salvation experience. We have Reuben, we got to see a son. We got Simeon, we got to hear. Now we got Levi, which means to be joined to. What do you think he means being joined to? The Bible says that when you see the son, and by faith you trust the word of God, and you accept Christ as your Savior, the very next step is to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of your heart. You know what makes the church age different than any other age? It's that you and I are the first group of people in the history of mankind is to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and be filled with the Spirit of God. That God now lives inside of us and not working just on the outside. That's unique to us and us alone. Matter of fact, not to get all doctrinal on you, but even during the tribulation and the millennia, it's not the same thing. We are that unique group that once we see Jesus, hear his word, we are joined by the Holy Spirit. The word is parakletos in the Greek. Not that you need to know that, but it's where we get our English word paralegal. Okay, What's a paralegal? It's somebody that's called to your side to help along the way. So what happens is when you get your salvation experience and you see Jesus for who he is, you trust his word, you're not left alone. You have the Holy Spirit now living inside of you. And that's the third part of salvation. Now watch this. We have another son, Josh. Come on up here. This is Josh uh, Josh in here. 
He left. Man, you guys are messing up my... <laughs> now I've got to figure out who the fourth dude is. All right. All right. Well, Jerry, you're going to have to be it. Jerry... <laughs> All right, so Jerry's coming up, and he is going to play the part of Judah. And Judah, watch this, verse 35, and she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, now will I, look at the word, praise the Lord, therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. Okay, now, get the picture here. We got to see a son. We trust his word. We're filled by the Spirit of God. What is the very next thing to happen to a believer? He starts praising God. You know what that baptismal thing's all about? Because it doesn't physically do anything for you. It is a public profession to the world that I've seen the Son. I've trusted His Word. I've been joined by the Holy Spirit of God, and I want to praise His name. That's why people who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian who have no interest in coming here and corporately worshiping together, I have an issue. I have to start going, really? You've met the son I've met? You've met the Jesus I've met? You've had your world turned upside down? You've had that book placed into your life, and the Spirit of God is now living inside of you, and there is nothing inside of you that wants to worship? I don't know what you got, but you didn't get what I got. I didn't even have to be taught that. It just naturally came. Man, I'm excited that I know Jesus. And if you ever truly get saved and realize the wrath of God that will never touch your life, man, you'll get excited. This is the salvation experience. You see Jesus for who he is. You hear his word. You get filled by the Spirit of God and you worship his name. Now, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, 11, For the scripture saith, Whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. People who want to hide their Christianity, something's missing. And if you say that you've trusted him and you know his word and there's a Spirit of God inside of you and you don't praise, why isn't this guy rattling you a little bit? Why in the Spirit of God going, hey, you were designed to be an eternal worshiper of Jesus. Why aren't you doing it? All right? Now, we're going to start a new experience. Now, we've got our salvation experience. It's done. Never have to redo that again. But now we're going to start what I call the sanctification experience. And this is a whole thing about cleaning up, right? Now, watch. So, John, you come on up. John's here, right? Yeah, John's here making me nervous. I'm going to start calling out guys. And I needed more guys, and this happens to be a Sunday that everybody decided to go hang out with the trotters, I guess. <laughs> now, sanctification process that's going on. Now, I want you to look here. What goes down is Rachel has now realized that Leah has given him four sons. She's a little fired up. Like, she's a little upset about it, right? So she says, you know what, I've got this handmaid. And this handmaid that I have over here, uh, Bildad, or whatever her name is here, she, she's my slave. What I'm going to do is tell my husband, Jacob, hey, I need you to hook up with my slave or my, my servant. And whatever kids she has, those are going to be my kids. 
I told you Jerry Springer would have loved this. So she's going to have some kids through this handmaiden, right? And she gets down here, and she has her first one. Now, notice what she says. So she goes in here, and she says, Behold, my uh, Bildad, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, and that I may also have her children by her. Okay, so in other words, these are going to be mine. And Bilhad conceived and bare Jacob a son, and Rachel said, God hath judged me, and she named him Dan. What does Dan mean? It means to judge. Watch, I'm going somewhere. To judge, right? Now watch. When a man or a woman sees Jesus for who he really is, and she trusts him, or he trusts him, and then all of a sudden, that word of God by faith is what seals the deal. He gets filled by the Holy Spirit of God. He begins to praise. The very next step to the Christian journey is you start the sanctification process. Now, you want to start a fight in churches. Let's talk about sanctification. We all agree that salvation comes through Jesus. But we have churches who believe well, you can trust Jesus and live however you want to which is not biblical. And then you have churches that are going, yeah, you can trust Jesus, but you got to go by this rule and this rule, this rule, this rule, and this rule, and this rule. And we've added some of these rules just so that you don't break those rules. It's called legalism. The difference between legalism and liberalism is about razor thin. That's why God said don't deviate to the left or the right. But... If you think you can come to know Jesus as your Savior and live however you want to without any repercussions, you haven't met the Jesus of the Bible. Every single person who comes to Jesus to be saved, they're different afterwards. Every single one. You don't get cleaned up to get saved. That all already happened. But as soon as you get saved... The cleanup starts. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things pass away, all things become new. They pass away, by the way, that's a process. It, hadn't, it passed away. You have an old man you're still dealing with. And so what we got on here is we got Dan, which means to judge. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one: 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we shouldn't be judged, right? And so now that I'm saved, now that I've had my salvation experience, this guy right over here, the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and this book right here called the Word of God is what's supposed to cause the process for me to be reading the Word of God through the Spirit of God, convicting me of going, I need to get that out of my life. I need to add this to my life. Because God says, if you'll do that, you'll judge yourself, I won't judge you. And it starts the sanctification process. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us clean ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, we're real big about 1 John 1, 9, right? Well, you know, went out. Acted like an idiot. Ah, that's all right. I'll just confess it. That's not necessarily the process. Yes, confessing it before him, he'll cleanse us. 
But there is some self-responsibility in judging ourselves that we begin to sanctify ourselves and clean ourselves up. Now, it would be a whole lot easier if the Calvinists were right and God would just override your will and just make us do right. It would be a whole lot easier. That's not what happens. You have a free will and God is a gentleman and allows you to make those choices that you want to make. But our job is to clean it up. All right? Now, Micah, come on up. Now we got another, another son, Naphtali, being born to this slave girl. Okay? And it says in verse 7 and 8. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. The slave girl conceives and goes through the labor and gives the birth, but Rachel gets to name him. Hey, that's my kid. Now, that's a little messed up, but once again, we're talking Jerry Springer family here. And this Naphtali literally means to wrestle. That's why Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. It means to wrestle. Now, I've seen the son. I've heard his word. I got filled by his spirit. I'm praising God. I'm daily walking in his book trying to clean myself up. But guess what? Somebody's about to show up and wrestle with me. You know who it is? The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When you finally see the sun and you get saved, and you get to trying to clean your life up and living right for Jesus, guess who's showing up? And it's a wrestling match. It's a dog fight. And even if you think to yourself, okay, I'm not dealing with a lot of this principality stuff. Well, you know, guys, you've heard me say this a million times. That's actually why I quit pastoring. I have nothing new to say. There is a 73 version of me born on this planet by my parents. And then there's a 1994 version of me where I was born again by the Spirit of God, where I had all this go down. And every single day of my life, that old man born in 73 gets up and wrestles with the man that was born again in 94. Now, one of the things, I grew up wrestling. That was me. I liked football better, but I was way better at wrestling. And a lot of guys would lose weight, right? You know, they'd cut weight so they could get to it. I never did that. I always liked to eat. Okay? I just felt like, you know what? If I can't win at this weight, I just won't win. I like to eat. Now, we would watch wrestlers that would cut all this weight and they wouldn't eat anything and they'd end up losing. And here's the thing, guys, that you can learn from that. If you want to know who's going to win between 1973, Corey, and 1994, Corey, it's whoever I feed the most. When I get up daily and I feed the old man the trash of this world, he's going to win. He's going to win the wrestling match. But when I get up every day and begin to feed the 1994 quarry, the Spirit of God things, all of a sudden he's stronger and he can out-wrestle him. This is the sanctification process. Now remember, this is salvation. It's done. If you fail in a wrestling match here, you don't start back at go. You're saved and filled by the Spirit forever. But... This process right here, 
rest of your life. Never stops. Let's keep going. All right? So now we got another one, a guy named Gad, right? Let me flip my, my notes here. We got Gad that shows up, all right? Uh, Silas, come on up. Bring your notebook. I meant to tell you guys, if you do take notes, you might want to bring them. You're here the rest of the time. So we got Gad, right? Now, what happens is Leah sees that her sister has taken her handmaid, her slave girl, and said, here, Jacob, hook up with her and give me kids. Well, Leah realizes, I'm no longer producing kids for him. Therefore, two can play at this game, calls her handmaid, and says, hey, Jacob, hook up with her. And now, all of a sudden, he's got another maid he's hooking up with, and she has a kid, and Leah names that kid Gad, which means a troop cometh. Now watch, it literally means a troop or a gathered assembly. Hang with me. When you come to know Jesus as your Savior, you're filled by the, you're hearing the Word of God, you're filled by the Spirit of God, you're praising God daily in your life, you're, you're, you're judging yourself, your own works, and you're wrestling against those things. You know the next step? To be joined to an assembly. You know what we call that? It's called ecclesia in the Greek. You know what we, word we use? Church. For those that say, I'm saved, I have no interest in church. You're a liar. You're a liar. It's part of the family of God. And what happens is, is this spirit of God that's living inside you, he's not cool with all that. So if you're like, I have no interest in that, hold up. You may spend a season out there, but if that spirit of God is inside you, it's going to begin to work on you. It's going to begin to say, hey, you got to get back to the assembly. We're talking about the sanctification process. Because if you're going to wrestle against principalities, if you're going to wrestle against your old man, if you're going to judge things, then you're going to need the assembly to help you along the way. Guys, I need you as much as you need me. If I didn't have you, man, what a mess I'd be in. I got to have people in my life challenging me regularly to be in the book, challenging me to live out the life I'm supposed to live. Now, that's why in Hebrews 10, 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. That means coming to church, being together with the church family. The Bible says in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I shall be in the midst. Gathered. We're a troop. We're assembly. Now, we got another guy named Asher. Watch this. Eddie, come on up. Eddie's in here, right? Okay. This guy's name is Asher, right? which means happy, right? You go back to the verse here, and, and, and so Leah's handmaid comes and has another kid, and she said, happy am I, so I'm going to name him Asher. The sanctification process, now watch this. I met the son. I'm hearing his word, I'm filled by his spirit, I'm praising God, I'm judging myself, I'm wrestling against the old man, I'm, I'm hooked up with my church, now I'm happy. Now hang with me. Now listen, hanging out with the church doesn't always make you happy. There's a shirt I want, my wife's supposed to order, and it says people, and then dot, 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 not a fan. That's me. Now, it's a joke. But here's the thing, define happiness. Watch this. 
You ever read this, James 1-2? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. You know, we got a whole group of people out there that says, you know, if you're really right with God, you'll, the Spirit of God will overcome you and you'll speak in an unknown heavenly language. And that's proof that you're filled with the Spirit of God. And none of that is in Scripture. Here's what's in Scripture. When you're walking with the Lord, your whole world can come apart and you're still happy. Because true happiness is not focused on this world. It's focused on the world to come. It's focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And so when I'm going through this constant judging myself, wrestling with it, hanging out with the church people, learning and trying to go, happiness already comes. That's why guys like Jerry can lose his wife, like uh, Brother Lou goes on to heaven and, 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 and Darlene can have joy in their heart. Because it's not based upon the current situation. And in America today, we're happy on sad. Why are you sad? Oh, I just I'm bored. Here's an idea. Get a job. Work. Do something. Problem is you're unhappy because you got too much time on your hands. And watch this. So we got happiness, right? Now watch. We're going to enter into what's called the third part called the stewardship experience. And that's why I have three chairs over here. Right now you're probably thinking, wait a minute. That's only 11 chairs. Well, just hang on. So we're going to have three what's called the stewardship experience. So this is the salvation experience. I see the Son. I hear His Word. I'm filled by the Spirit. I'm praising God. Now I'm going to be sanctifying myself by judging myself, wrestling with myself, getting in the church, learning, and learning to be happy no matter what state I am in. Paul talks about. Now we're going to enter into the third part of the Christian journey called the stewardship experience. And now we're going to talk about a, name, a guy named Issachar. Bo, come on up. All right. Issachar. Now notice what goes down here. Reuben comes in. Now remember, this is Leah's first son, Sia's son. He comes in and he's got some mandrakes, right? And I'm not trying to get, you know, crude or anything else, but mandrakes was a Old Testament fallacy that they believe helped you be fruitful. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep it clean, but kind of, hey, it made you more fertile. Okay, we'll just go with that. So Reuben comes in with them, and Rachel is like, uh, let me have those mandrakes. I'll buy them from you. I'll hire them. All right, so she gets them, uh, and, and she goes over here. Uh, and, and, and excuse me, and, and Leah's going to be in over here. And this Issachar, she's upset because Reuben's involved and, and, and Rachel's done, uh, came in. So she gets the mandate, or Leah does. She hires them back from Rachel. I'm, I'm trying to give you the story here without getting too deep into this, this part. So Leah comes up to, 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 to Jacob and says, Hey, I've hired you for the night through my son's mandrakes. Right? And so he's like, okay, so she comes in, and she has a kid, and so she names him Issachar, which means to hire, or to labor, if you will. Now watch, it's hire or reward. Now watch. What happens is we get saved through these guys, 
We get sanctified through these guys. But one of the main keys to being a Christian is that you go to work. Nowhere, anywhere in Scripture is anybody a pew sitter. Matter of fact, everywhere in Scripture, all believers have a vocation, have a purpose, have a labor. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, beloved brethren, be, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. Look, look at it. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, yet your labor is not in vain. If you tell me that you've met Jesus Christ and you're reading and hearing His Word, you're filled by the Spirit and you're praising God and you don't work, something is disconnected somewhere. You need to be working somewhere in the cubicle that you work at, the ball field, the, the, the classroom. Somewhere along the way, God has called all of us to be abounding in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? It is the work that the Lord did. What did the Lord do? He won people to God, He discipled people to God, and then He sent them back out. And all of us are required to work and labor. Now watch. D.L. Moody said, the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. Now let's just stop and do some self-inventory. Where are you serving the Lord? And if you're not, why not? All right, so we got another son. His name is, to, is Zebulun, right? Zebulun. Now watch this. Case, come on up here. I'm running out of guys. Some of you getting nervous. May have to call up some chicks. Now watch this. Zebulun. Now look at the word here. So Leah conceives again. So she had Issachar. Now she's going to go and have, uh, uh, Leah is going to have Zebulun. And, she, and Leah said, God hath endured me with a good dowry. Now will my husband, look at the word, dwell with me. The word dwell, which is where the word Reuben comes from, means to a settled place. Settledness, right? This is one of the major issues in Christianity in America today. People can't get settled. They go from church to church to church, to ministry to ministry to ministry, in church, out of church, up, down, inside, out, all that stuff. And God says, no, plan it. Dwell. Get settled. And start serving me. And so we're going to hear a son, or see a son, hear his word, be filled by the Spirit, praise God, start to uh, judge ourselves, that's Dan, and then we wrestle call, uh, ourselves with ne Neftet. I'm running out of spit, all right? We're, I'm trying to keep not spitting on them, all right? Then we're going to join to our assembly, we're going to be happy, we're going to get hired, get working for the Lord, and then we're going to get settled. This is how this works, guys. Now watch, we're going to keep going. Now, remember, the Bible says if you continue in the faith, look at the word grounded, settled, dwell, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, Pete, come on up. We got Joseph. You know Joseph, he's the man of many colors, or the coat of many colors. Now watch this. So, so Rachel is going to have her first kid. First one. Now look how many guys are up here. 
Ten other boys, she finally has Joseph. And the word means to add. Now watch. If you are saved by these guys, sanctified by these guys, and stewardship here, one of the keys to stewardship is adding. Now watch this. Second Peter says that besides this, giving all diligence, watch this, to add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, and patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. You have a job to add to your faith. Not only do you have a job to add to your faith, you have a job to add to the kingdom of God. The Bible talks about fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And one day, you and I are going to die or be raptured, and we are going to be ushered in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, you're going to stand eyeball to eyeball, looking into the face of the Son of God, God in human flesh, and you're going to give an answer for your life. And one of those answers is, what did you do to add to the kingdom? What did you do to reach people? You know, the only thing anywhere that is eternal, there's only two things that are eternal. This book, the Word of God, and the souls of men. That's it. Everything else we do. Listen, I've put in, the, I've put in a lot of work on this building and the building out there. And do you understand that if a rapture comes, it's done. And if the rapture doesn't come, how many years before it's dilapidated and torn down? George Mann, you guys know who this is? George Mann bricked that old brick building out there. Where's the brick building now? Gone. His work is no longer here. The Bible talks about investing in things that make it up there. The only thing you're taking with you is the souls of men. Now, are we adding anything to the kingdom of God? Or are we just happy going through the motions and just playing church? Now watch. I'm closing right here with the separation experience. This time, I'm going to set the chair a little different. Well, maybe. Gabe, come here. Since you can't come to my Sunday school class, I'll get you dead center. <laughs> We'll just set you aside over here where people can see your little pretty face. <laughs> We're going to talk about the last son, Benjamin. He doesn't come along until a little while later. You know, we end up in chapter 35, and chapter 35, all these guys are with Jacob. And he comes to Bethel, and he's realized he's gotten away from God. I told you he was a little dainty. At the beginning of chapter 35, he asked all his sons to get rid of their earrings, which I wholeheartedly agree. And here's what happens. All these guys are getting right with God, and Rachel gets pregnant with one last kid. And he's going to make the 12th one, and I'm calling it the separation experience. Now, we've been saved. We've been sanctified. We've been serving but there's coming a day when you and I are going to lay down our life and take our last breath on this planet.
Watch this. So verse 35, 16 and 18. Rachel, they're journeying from Bethel, and therefore there was but a little way to come to Ephraim. And, and Rachel travailed, and she had a hard labor. And it came to pass that when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she died, she called his name Benoni. Now, how many of y'all know that son? We don't know that one very often, do we? But his father stepped in and changed the name to Benjamin. Now, here's what's interesting. This guy can either be Benjamin or he can be Benoni. Benoni means son of sorrow. Benjamin means son of my right hand. You say, okay, I'm, I'm not following. Watch this. Every single one of us who are in this room today will one day give an account of our life, saved or lost. But just for a moment, I want to focus on those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're going to stand and be separated from this world and separated from your family and separated from your church and you're going to stand eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. And your whole story, your whole life is going to be on display. And you can either be in that moment a Benjamin, a son of the right hand, or you can be a Benoni, a son of sorrow. You could stand there that day as a Benjamin with gold, silver, and precious stones to offer up to Jesus. Or you can be a Benoni, which you'll have wood, hay, and stubble. You'll have nothing to offer Jesus. Now hang with me. If you've met him, and his word by faith you've trusted him, and you've been filled with his spirit, You're going to heaven. You're in. That's all it is to be saved. To trust Jesus Christ in the work that he did on Calvary. No matter if you ever do any of this, you're going to heaven. But when you stand before Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you give an account for your life as a Christian, this will matter. Whether you judged yourself or not, whether you wrestled, whether you was a part of the church and what the church was doing, whether you were happy in the midst of all of that, whether you were hired and laboring for God, all this stuff matters whether you added to the kingdom of God. It's all going to come to play. And if you did none of that stuff, you're going to heaven, but you're going to be a son of sorrow for a whole millennium. You say, oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. Trust me. Your positioning in the millennial reign is based on what you do right now. Your capacity to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity is based on what you do right now. Those of you that get the crowns, those of you that built with 
with gold, silver, and precious stones, you'll actually have something tangible to lay down at his feet when we get there. But how sorrowful of an event will it be when Jesus in the midst of everybody and you have nothing to give him? You ever been to a party and everybody brought a gift but you? It's a bad feeling, isn't it? You're like, hey, man, I didn't know. I'm sorry, you know. When you get there, you're going to know. And you're going to wish you had something. Now, let me, let me, let me hang with you for one second. Because you and I, we're joint heirs with Christ. You know what that means? We're going to inherit what Christ inherits. And your capacity matters at that moment. And I'm closing right here. I've talked to the man or the men and women who are saved, but listen to me if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Let's say you don't even care about the Son. You have no faith in His Word. You're not filled by His Spirit. You're not praising God. So no, even if you are doing all this stuff, if you don't have that first four, when you stand at the great white throne, you will not be called Benjamin. You will not be called the son of my right hand. Isn't it interesting? Those of us that are joint heirs are going to be called the son of his right hand because we're joint heirs with Christ. But for those that don't trust Christ, you're a son of sorrow. The Bible says about Judas, he says, and it would have been better if he wouldn't even have been born. It would be better for you not to ever even been born on this planet than to be born and reject Jesus Christ as your Savior and go to hell. Because you're going to spend eternity in a place you will never exit. Pain and anguish forever and forever and forever. You say, I don't want that. We don't want it for you either. And I can tell you, if you just look to Jesus and trust his word, it goes away. Your eternity can be changed. Now, as these men step down and they start to come up to get a song, I want to talk to two people for just a second. Those of you that are saved, where are you on that list? You've been saved. Have you been saved? Do you know Jesus is your Savior? If so, where are you at? You're judging yourself? You're wrestling with yourself? You hooked up with the church? Are you, you happy? Are you serving the Lord? Are you adding to the kingdom? Just self-evaluate. I don't want to call anybody out. I don't know your heart. But those of you that have never been saved, do you realize the danger you're in? You're one heartbeat away from eternal damnation. And the only thing that stands between you and that is Jesus Christ and your faith in him. 
Let's stand to our feet. Father, I'm asking you that you would speak to our hearts in a great mighty way. Those of us that have been saved, God, let us evaluate our life and see where we are on this Christian journey. Those of us that are here today that don't know Jesus as Savior, God, let this be the day that they come to know you and have their eternity forever changed. Father, I love you and thank you for all that you've done. Now bless us throughout the remainder of this service. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Let's sing this whole song, Just As I Am.